0: This is Ned Palmer overlooking the Temple of Jupiter in Rome. On this Noms of December in the 691st year of the founding of the city, the Senate is about to reconvene for the last day of its special session, called by the Consul Cicero. The motion that all Rome has been expecting since the session began, the motion asking the death penalty for the five followers of the Senator Lucius Catiline, will probably be introduced. Cataline's followers, as you know, have been arrested and accused of conspiring with Cataline to overthrow the government. The law expressly forbids the execution of Roman citizens unless they are tried and convicted by the people. And if the Senate here today, without a trial, carries a motion which sentences them to die, it will be violating the constitution of this republic. The Symphonian law, often called the law of Gracchus, is one of the strongest pillars of Roman justice. And many observers fear that if this law is violated. It is. It is. Of Catiline, the Roman Senate debates whether a threat to the public safety justifies action outside the law. CBS takes you back more than two thousand years to the afternoon of an historic choice in the life of the great Republic. All things are as they were then, except for one thing. When CBS is there, you are there. You are there. Produced and directed by Robert Louis Sheehan, is based on authentic historical fact and quotation. And now. Hey. 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 And the consul Cicero and the senator Catalan, as you know, are bitter enemies. Cicero believes that the government should be led by a concord of the order, so-called, that is, a coalition of the aristocracy and the equestrians or merchants, while Catalan protests that the plebeians, the people, should have a larger voice in shaping the destiny of the republic. Senator Cataline is in Victoria, a hundred miles north of Rome, and our correspondent on the scene, Ken Roberts, reports that he is definitely raising an army there, but so far, Roberts has been unable to get Catiline to make any statement. This morning, the Senate, upon Cicero's advice, decreed martial law that Don Hollenbeck down at the Rosca is ready for an interview with the consul himself, so over to Don Hollenbeck. Marcus Julius Cicero at the a moment ago surrounded by his bodyguard. Cicero, one day, definitely, the have motion condemning the five prisoners to death this afternoon. It is my earnest hope that there will be that motion. And do you expect your motion to be clear? Who mm-hmm. you misunderstand? It will not be my motion. I have no power to make a motion. I have only the power by law to summon the Senate of the session. I understand, Cicero, but if the motion is introduced. <laughs> please, please, let me make it perfectly clear. The responsibility for the passage of the death decree will fall upon the whole body of the Senate rather than upon me. I'm only consul to the public. Yes, but it is it your personal opinion that such a motion will be carried? Why do you insist on learning my personal opinion in which can show an unreasonable degree of curiosity? For the salvation of all Italy, the execution of Rachel and the other conspirators must be carried out before the sun sets. Yes, but what about the law which prohibits capital punishment without a formal trial by the people? An excellent question, to which there is a more excellent answer. The Centronian law was passed to the Roman citizens. He who is an enemy of the Republic can by no means be a citizen and is not entitled to the protection of the law. But, Cicero, there are senators who may argue that this point of view is unconstitutional. What can you say to them? I will say this. Up to this moment, I have delivered the city from conflagration, the citizens from massacre, and Italy from war. But from now on, if the promotion is not carried, the conspiracy will take courage. Before my eyes, I see this city, this light of the world, this citizen of all nations, falling on a sudden by one terrible tempest. I shudder at the lamentations of nations, at the flight of war, at the insult of the I weep with the father of a family whose children will be slain, his wife murdered, his house slain, while at the hands of Paterine, the exodus of the city are Lady ruin. I take it, then, you favor setting aside the Constitution in the interest of public safety. And we all still fail to understand my position, laws are made to protect the people, not the enemies of the people. That would seem to be apparent now. You have only five followers of Catalan in their custody, Cicero. How will the execution of five men prevent the destruction, as you put it, of all the world? Effectively? Progressively? Completely? The other rats that are hiding in the doors of Rome will be smoked out by fear, for they are miserable cowards and will fly from the city to escape our strength and our arms. And, if they merely depart to join the armies of Catalan in the door, we serve them in Egypt or to ravage one hundred courses. Not one thing will need a lot. Thank you, Marcus Tullius Cicero. Not at all. The eloquence founded on truth is invincible into that, Marcus Tullius. You see, my friend, I'm a humble man, and do not thank the populace. <laughs> the consul is going up the steps to the rest, and now his bodyguard is large enough to fill the marketplace in Rome. Cicero is taking no chances. Under his program, Bulger's a best play for protection against the dangers of possible assassins. This is Don Holland Beckett, the roster. Now back to Ned Calder. Julius Caesar, senator and Peter elect, has just come through the sacred street entrance to the Temple of Jupiter. He's here with us now. Like the smiling but elusive calm of the sea, is what Cicero instead of Caesar? Okay. Well, Julius Caesar is smiling and he is calm. This affable and liberal young senator of 38 is perhaps one of the few calm persons in Rome today. Oh, uh, Cicero, if I might ask a few questions. The General Cicero said in an interview a few moments ago that Catiline threatens the safety of Rome. Do you believe that? Well, not exactly. And let us say more accurately that he is a threat to the status quo. To the sad condition of things as they are in Rome. But when you speak of the safety of Rome, then I say it is Cicero who threatens it. Oh, will you explain that? With pleasure. I cannot agree with any man who would act against the law upon the pretense of safety for the state. By acting against the law, you mean, of course, sentencing Babylon's followers to death without due process of law. Of course. If the consul, by an illegal decree of the Senate, draws a sword, who is to set bounds to it? Who will moderate its fury? To break the law in one case will set a precedent far more dangerous to the safety of the Republic than the threat of revolution against the Republic. I see. Well, do you believe, Caesar, that Cataline is plotting the overthrow of the government? Cicero is a clever lawyer. <laughs> he eloquently conjures up, in our imagination, a conflagration of Rome. But I see no fire. I see no murder. No rape of the Vestal Virgins. No aqueducts destroyed. In short... I see no overt act committed. I see only a man condemned for a possible act that he may be thinking about, and I say you cannot condemn a man for his thoughts. Only for his acts. But, Caesar, if you don't mind my saying so. Say, yeah. there is a good deal of alarm in the Senate at the moment. Many of the Senators have relatives who were assassinated in the recent Civil War. Two. These men are not strangers to the most dreadful violence yes. in the city. And how about the prisoner's signatures on incriminating documents? How about Catalan's army in Etruria? Isn't that army a threat to the Republic? If it is, then let us proceed at once to defend ourselves by attacking that army. But what has that to do? the question of the Senate breaking the law and putting five men to death without a fair trial. Even if Catiline is guilty, we must protect the law. We must not let the law speak too softly amid the dinner arms. Well then why do you think Cicero is so anxious to put these five men to death? I will tell you why. This conjured conspiracy of Catiline may well be the conspiracy of Cicero to remove a political form from his side. Oh I think I uh I remember Cicero's methods in his campaign for consul when he stood against Catalan. Yes? Cicero's brother, Quintus, drew up a manual for him. A manual of electioneering technique. It said, Be lavish in your promises, for men prefer a false promise to a flat refusal. <laughs> Contrive to get some new scandal aired against your rival for crime, corruption, or immorality. Now, Cicero is following that manual. Following it to the letter in his campaign to rid himself of Catiline, but Caesar, there are some senators who say that you are the real power behind Catiline, oh, that Catiline is your thorn in Cicero's side. <laughs> Would you care to comment on that? I do not wish to confuse rumor with truth, and therefore I will also refrain from spreading the rumor that Cicero is likewise a convenient thorn of Pompey in my side. If I can see that there are several ways of looking at this, there <laughs> always are. But are you going to speak against the motion? When it's introduced on the floor of the Senate, certainly, I must speak against it. Not so much to save the life of Catiline as to save the honor of Cicero. Cicero is an honorable man, a great orator, a scholar, and statesman of the highest magnitude. He has in the past displayed all the virtues esteemed by our Republic, but in this instance, he has allowed himself to be the victim of hysteria, fear, and political intrigue. I would save Cicero from himself. Thank you, Julius Caesar. Thank you. The senator and Peter-elect, a calm and commanding figure, is walking alone toward his bench in the Senate. The session here should be convening shortly. The benches, as I look around me, are almost filled. And behind me out on Capitol Hill, thousands of Roman citizens, freedmen, slaves, are huddled now along the slopes in the glare of the blood red setting sun. Equestrians are scattered among the spectators... Many of them are armed, uh, just on the advice of Cicero, and again contrary to the laws of the Republic, and I... Jackson Beck reports a disturbance on the hill behind us. Go ahead, Beck. cars nearby. The Presbyterian and the Presbyterian uh, are still running about here, still shouting at each other. Uh, I have with me for an interview one of the attackers, a Presbyterian who will not give his name. And he's very not. He's a bloodstain. One moment, please. Uh, stand stand now the uh, Presbyterian I'm speaking to has but one arm. How did you lose your arm? I paid my best. That's how I lost it. I presume you you're your to by the law of the Twelve table. Yes, I have many creditors lost so him. You could have had your tongue cut out. Thank you. It is filled with mountain metal. I could not pay the rights of this one with money. I lost my arm. I could not satisfy my creditors. Who can with 100% interest rates? They are all 50% of my arms. And with the arm I have left, I will kill Marcus Antonius. Uh-huh. I will kill this <laughs> Come Marcus Antonius, right. a yeah. traitor. He deserted Catiline, and he did it because he was bribed by Cicero. What part of a bribe is yeah. money, what else? Cicero gave Marcus Antonius the whole province of Macedonia to win him away from Catiline. Once Marcus Antonius was our friend, the friend of the poor. Now he is a hired player for Cicero, ready to do his bidding, ready to conspire to kill Catalan for a few hectares of bloodstained earth. Oh, it oh, is oh, you, oh. it is the likes of you who have blessed the earth in Italy with blood. It is you who are conspiring with that guilt-same soul, that Catalan, who is at odds with gods and men, that Catalan who finds no rest, waking or sleeping, no rest from his guilty conscience, his overwrought mind, that Catalan with his... His pallid complexion, with bloodshot eyes, his gait now fast, now slow. His face, the face of a madman, I it a guilty, cruel cool man, Guilty of helping the poor and the wretched. I, I'm without land. The law promised that after the war, the large states would be broken up. were they, No. Cicero has his palaces, four of them. I have no home. The slaves in the colonies grow corn. Can I compete with the slaves? No. I have no work. Wars. Wars, that's all they know. And long lines before the government granaries for a pittance of so corn. If Federine will give me land, work, put a plough in my hand, free me of debt, is he guilty? Guilty of lies! You don't ever work! That's why you're poor. You prefer standing in line for cheap grain. My wealth wasn't given to me by the gods. I wanted it with my own brain and hands. And now, now he wants to take it away from me. What shall we do? Cancel honest debts? That will become a trade of the Republic. I have a family to support too. If he loves Cataline so much, let you. him go to him. Let him go to Etruria and have his other arm locked Land off. Let him go. Let them all go. It's time Rome is rid of this rabble. Thank you, Thank you. I am speaking from the headquarters tent of Cataline's army, which is camped here on a great plain in Etruria. We still can't get a statement from Cataline. He's going to address his troops shortly. But here at the microphone is a very charming advisor to Cataline and one of his strongest supporters, the wealthy Sempronia. Sempronia is the leader of what some people affairs of state. Well, you've no doubt heard the expression, Paulie, in our current in Rome, that all other men rule over women, but Romans, who rule all men, are ruled by their but women. Unfortunately, that's not true, I wish it were. It's still men who make wars and indulge in vile politics. Certainly we could do no work, I think it's not humanly possible. We wish to rule over no one. Though some men, like Cicero, think we're a danger to the state because we're in politics and medicine and law. They think we're revolutionists because we're learning Greek, studying philosophy and writing poetry as excellent as Cicero's prose. Well, if you'll allow me, I think, Centrionia, that Cicero is not as worried about your poetry as he is about your politics and support of color. No doubt. How many troops are there here who support Catalan's politics? That's military information, let us say simply, that our numbers have increased at least five times since Catalan's arrival. Well, is it then true that Catalan was gathering an army war all this war accused of a conspiracy in the Senate last month? I wouldn't quite call it an army. By modern standards, only one in five of us is armed. Still, so, what's the purpose of this army? Yes, it is it a claim to sack Rome? The men here in Etruria are poor farmers, dispossessed the of their land. They're unemployed workingmen who couldn't compete with the slave labor of Rome. They're debtors and army veterans. To be sure... Yes, I, I know all of that, Symphonia. But Cicero claims there are also politically ambitious men here. Farm aristocrats and ruined speculators who are supporting Catalonia because he has made promises to abolish all debts. So. Well, all our followers are not perfect. Now, not a follower of any cause, even Catalan, is not perfect. But whatever his motives, he is the only man today who has undertaken the cause of the distressed. You heard him say in the Senate, there are two bodies in the Republic. One is feeble with a feeble head, and that feeble head is the aristocracy. And the other is strong, but he is headless. The people are strong, but they lack a head to lead them. The people cannot expect leadership on the behalf of Cicero. Cicero called our army an array of gravel, thieves, carpets, and deserts. Cicero, however, is an honorable man, a wealthy and influential citizen. Why? Because he who steals from a citizen ends his days and fetters in fetters and chains. That he who steals from the community ends them in purple and gold. You uh, still haven't answered my question, Sincronia. Why was this army gathered here by cattle You want me to say we're plotting revolution very well? I will say it. There have been revolutions in history, you know. Believe me, we would rather have won our rights peacefully on the floor of the Senate than we would determine if need be to fight for them. Now, all that's changed. Lentulus and our friends in Rome have become a symbol, a very real symbol. If the Senate dooms them without a fair trial, it will mean that the Constitution is doomed. The reforms are doomed. The Republic is doomed. Then, we shall have no choice but to fight. And, we shall not be the attackers, but the attacked. Now, you must forgive me, please. I must speak to Caroline before he addresses his troops. Thank you, Sempernia. Douglas Edwards is outside on the plane with one of the soldiers who will soon be listening to the words of Caroline. So go ahead, Douglas Edwards. The Senate to order. The consul is speaking out of the to the senators. The spectators, the vast multitudes surrounding the Temple of Jupiter are silent out there. I night is coming on fast. Torches are being lit. And to point, your Let's listen. And you, you must not be before night. Hello, Mr. Leder. You are monthly. Revolve me when my service starts. If I could ask your opinion, what motion would you make? I hope that the conspiracy has been becomes... I not his hands for order. The senators is the No one has answered Cicero's question. It seems that no one will. So, no, Julius Caesar has risen. But what But the he becomes a tyrant, and reason is reduced to ribbons. Every now Cicero has armed you with noble language and told you the misfortunes that will were the order of it. He has laid on the horror of war. For what purpose was his eloquence delivered? For? To confine ourselves to such punishments as are by law provided. For to break the law and turn into the spirit of our state. If you break the law, O conscript fathers, To swell the army of Pagalain. Are there any other opinions on the motion of the latest? Yes! I forgot to speak! Who are you? I'm sure there's no one! Marcus Porcius Cato, the younger, the well known Stoic philosopher, one of the wealthiest men in Rome, has been recognized and is going up to the roster to speak. Cato is a stern man who seldom laughs or even smiles. He has a reputation of being a terror to incompetence, a stern, immovable man, a great defender of the aristocracy. Cato has reached the roster now, and. Excuse me and, and, and obviously concerning life and death, But I will ask you, the Cup, good If you both prepare for satellite your competitors, or I will presently fall upon you. This is Ned Palmer. We will come back to Cato in a moment, but we've just had a report that there was an attempt to assassinate Julius ah, Caesar just after he left the temple. The attackers were a uh, band of armed chasseurs an aristocrats. They tried to kill Caesar and save Rome. Caesar was defenceless, but he was saved from assassination, the assassination by the in the crowd. crowd.
1: He's now being escorted home by the men oh, who rescued him. Now that back to the restaurant, Cato. Abandon
0: yourself to sleep and tiredness, and you may invoke the gods, but you will be insane. Enough! It's a little bit of troupe, so we of tiles and And I'm to Have been listening to The Conspiracy of Cataline, another broadcast in the series You Are There, produced and directed by Robert Louis Cheyenne. The Conspiracy of Cataline was written by Joseph Liss and Mr. Cheyenne. Thomas Chalmers played Cicero, Colin Thatcher was Caesar, Oliver Cliff was the equestrian, Joseph Poland, the plebeian, Doris Dalton was Sempronia, John Sylvester, the veteran, Anthony Campbell Cooper was Cato, and the cast included Gert Collin, Guy Sorrell, and others. Next week, May you my London.